0: Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in. This program is brought to you by The Garden
1: Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature ren, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure, and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello,
2: and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Darren Seenor.
3: And I'm Joanne Harris, and we're excited to be here this morning. We're filling in for Trevor.
2: We have a great show for you today. Here's what's coming up. Do you have any orchids? Well, Trevor earlier this week caught up with Stephen Chitted, to share some great tips on growing orchids
3: um, and i'm here and i'm going to show you some favorite plants of mine that you can purchase at this time of the year
2: and garden express will share their awesome offer with you for this week
3: if you've got any gardening questions or queries post them in um, in the comments remember to include your suburb and the state uh, when you're asking questions and make sure that you like uh, hit the like button for us um, we've also got some great uh, giveaways and prizes this uh, week Post your questions in the comments for your chance to win.
2: There's been a lot of questions sent through over the week. Firstly, we've got Michael from Kilmore. He's got a rosemary bush and he's wondering what soil to plant it in and what he should fertilise it with. Well, can't get anything easier to grow than rosemary, can you, Joe? No. So, just, hardly
3: need fertiliser. Just
2: as long as the soil is uh, free draining, nice sunny spot, and yeah, as Joe said, you barely need to fertilise them.
3: Yeah. Um Wendy, um and we're not sure where Wendy's from, but she's got some weeds and it probably doesn't matter where she comes from in fact because um weeds are weeds in any garden um and she's got lots of animals around so she doesn't want to use any chemicals um and what wants to know what she can use. Um well first thing that comes to mind for me is steam. Yep,
2: steam steam's quite a Kettle,
3: use your kettle, go out and, and, and use that. Or there's also some pro- a product on the market that you can find in most garden centres now, um, and it's a non, um, and I'm reading this because I never remember it, non-anonic acid. Um, and that will, it's, the, the one thing with that though is you can't use it uh, when the garden is wet. Um, and also um, with your animals, if it's, if your garden or the plant is wet, don't let your animals around. But w- as soon as it's dry, it's fine. So you're
2: it's very very safe to use around yeah, animals. Absolutely. Belasta in Canberra has a struggling magnolia. It's uh, dripping brown-tipped leaves. That doesn't sound mm. great. She's had it in a large pot for 18 months and wonders what the issue could be. Um, she also has other pots growing, other plants, sorry, growing in the same pot. Well, probably it's uh, root bound, might need to be taken out of the pot. Um, magnolias, like a lot of plants, when they're in pots, they don't really like extra plants in either the root competition. I'd make sure the pot's draining well, and probably look at repotting it. Nice, good quality, premium potter mix. Yeah. Slightly bigger pot. And now we're coming into the warmer weather; it should take off. The only possibility, uh, prob- probable problem, it'll also have maybe a fungus. So, a yeah. uh, all-purpose systemic insecticide, uh, fungicide, will help out with that.
3: And I think when when you see uh, brown on the tips of leaves, that's often uh, it shows you that it's an overwatering or a or, yeah, the potting
2: mix uh, is saying soggy.
3: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or you, you've uh, the hole in the bottom of the pot has has uh, filled up with roots or something. So that's a really important thing just to check on. So Sharon's from Lennox Head, and uh, we're heading into a new area with very red soil. How can we prepare the soil to plant vegetables? Well, I think if you're going to plant vegetables anywhere, um, perhaps even in very red soil, uh, it's really important, is um, some good compost. Um, so there must be in Lennox Head. There must be a great place to buy some good compost.
2: Yeah, it's probably um, probably clay soil, so trying yeah. to get it to drain well is really so important. I'd, and maybe yeah. a little bit of gypsum. Gypsum, and, yeah. yeah you'd
3: need some gypsum to help that also, and of course some good mulch. Yep, always yeah, always get good mulch Absolutely. on your soil. That'll help bring in the worms and everything else for and it. Maybe
2: should. slightly raise the beds up a bit so the drainage is good, especially yeah. for those. Um, uh, Annual vegetables that are a bit prone to root rot problems. Yeah. Now, yeah, Ken definitely. in Perth desperately needs help with his red dragon fruit plants. They seem to be continuously affected by a horrible fungal rot. Well, dragon fruit uh, plants do get attacked by various types of fungus. Um, liquid copper generally will fix that problem yeah. up. But the thing with fungicides, you do need to try and vary them um, when you use them so you're not using the same fungicide all the time. Because if you do that, eventually what you'll do is breed up a resistant population of fungus. So um, a variety of different fungicides and make sure you've got good air movement around the drag for That's really important. With yeah. Them. Otherwise, they're pretty easy to grow.
3: They are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah.
2: And stunning and fruit.
3: Stunning fruit, <laughs> as I was going to say. Um, so Mika from Melbourne um, has a one-year-old avocado tree that's been grown from seed. Um, please help. I'm in Melbourne and the leaves are turning yellow and a slow grower. What is the best fertiliser to use for avocado trees? Um, I like a mineral fertiliser. Um, the slow grower, um, I'm not sure that you can get it growing any faster other than some good fertiliser.
2: Yeah, particularly indoors. in Melbourne. The main thing, it's uh, a, a lot coarse. of Melbourne has heavy soil, so just yeah. making sure it's got free drainage because they are super susceptible root rot issues and yeah it won't start growing out until the warm weather anyhow which in melbourne's probably a week in december isn't it
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> maybe two <laughs> maybe two um also growing from seed it's going to be a long time before it gets to fruiting so you really have to um make sure you look after this well and as darren said it needs really good well draining soil um you might find that it gets a few yellow leaves especially in melbourne I wouldn't be too concerned about that as long as you've got some good fertiliser on it. Yeah,
2: hitting it up with fertiliser is way to
3: go. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, do you have any orchids in your garden? Uh, Last week, Trev caught up with um, Steve with from Love in the Garden um, to share some tips on growing your own orchids. So have a look at this.
0: Stephen, welcome to the show this morning. How are you going? Good. How are you, Trevor? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Look, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I did a story a couple of weeks ago on the Garden Gurus, which I'm sure you saw. Um, One of the most common questions we're getting asked currently uh, through our Facebook page and even direct emails to our website is about getting orchids into flower. Now, typically, um, most of the questions this time of the year would relate to Cymbidium orchids. So I did that little story about splitting them up as soon as they finish flowering split them up you end up with two plants more flowers but of course there's a lot of orchids in the world in fact the most prolific plant species on the planet is actually the orchid and uh, most people don't realize that there's more orchids on the planet or more species of orchid than any other plant um genera yeah which is really interesting And, and of course that then led to me doing that story and a whole bunch of people asking me well, what about my uh, Phalaenopsis orchid?
1: Yep,
0: same problem you got, right? <laughs> now, look, the the, the key with them, of course, is initially is to getting them to grow strong and getting that root system established, which you've done. So you've got it growing; it looks lovely, dark green. You're doing yep. the pour and feed.
1: Yep. So after watching your story, I repotted it. I used our orchid um, potting mix. So I started with the best. Right anything you that it would love yep. um, and then I've been doing porn feed every week yep. and then also mist and feed
0: yeah so I've been terrific. using
1: all the right products to give it you know the best start it can yeah but you know I'm just waiting for that little spike spike
0: and and what there is there was one other element of the story that we we did on the weekend that's vitally important and that's light so okay. one of the interesting things is if you give them lots of nutrient and you keep them in the dark, um, they tend to, for whatever reason, they tend to put a lot of growth on, but not a lot of flower, which can be quite mm-hmm. frustrating. Um, and and this is this is the phalaenopsis or the moth orchid is one that's typically grown in a glasshouse, and they don't they either have misting watering or they they have flood irrigation watering, so the water comes in, is drawn into the into the soil, and then naturally. It flows out, but they're better to be kept on the dry and they always have to be kept in a brightly lit spot. Okay. So the I- ideal scenario is to not have them exposed direct to the northern sun because that's where you can get burnt. Mm-hmm. But but ideally to have a sort of a the perfect scenario would be to have a southeast position. So as the sun comes up in the morning, um you've got a window ledge or something like that. So that's that's the thing I think with this you'll find is light it's getting some more light to it
1: awesome all right i'll let it go you
0: got, you got a spot like that in the house
1: yes definitely yeah i've like been keeping it probably more in the on the darker side so yep. i'll definitely move it to a brighter spot
0: yeah so the dark's going to bring lots of foliage and big lush foliage like you've got there which yeah. is is perfectly good yeah. and and to some extent you know like the the trick is when when you want to bring the flower on, move it into the brightly lit position, and now's the time to do it because as the days get longer, so more daylight hours, um, that is a main trigger for these guys to go into flower, whereas cymbidium orchids, the trigger is actually the days getting shorter. Okay. So it's it's interesting okay. how they're all different. Same family plant. plants. Different yep. different genus, different species, but all members of the orchid family with very different triggers as to how they come into flower.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. And I've got another little project going on, which I'll update you maybe in a few months' time. But um, yeah. I saw on the old TikTok um, that if you put the aerial roots of a monstera in some water, then
4: mm-hmm. you're going to
1: get all this brand new foliage. So I took that one step further and I put my aerial roots in a bottle of porn feed wow yeah that's interesting so that's, it is very interesting i've got some new leaves coming up but i don't know if that's from the porn feed or from you know just you know heading into spring and all that so that'll be really interesting to see what happens
0: yeah well so water is going to hydrate the plant but of course pour and feed with the with a good nutrient mix is the key to to really getting good yeah. growth so it's going to sustain it, it look let's let's just quickly talk about pour and feed because I, I'm not sure everybody fully understands what a great idea it is. It was one product yeah. of the year, I believe, last year. Yes, it did. And no wonder um, because this is a chance for you to, to get a fertiliser without risking burning your plants and indoor plants can't afford to have any burn. So the trick is to get the right mix of, of nutrients and that's where a lot of people kind of um, they make mistakes and they end up setting their plants back. But pour and feed solves that problem, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. We've taken all the guesswork out. We've pre-mixed it. It's already in the bottle. It's got the perfect MPK balance that your plants need. This one's perfect for orchids. We've put chase elements, growth stimulants. Literally, it is gold bottle for your plants. Yep.
0: And that little cap that's on the top, when you unscrew, yeah. that's, that's what you fill up to pour in, and that's the perfect amount you pour in.
1: Exactly. All pre-measured. Use one one little cap. And you know, your plants are going to be thriving in no time.
0: What a good idea, mate. You can't go wrong. Pour and feed. Now, there's pour and feed for orchids, but there's pour and feed for other plants as well, right? Other groups of plants.
1: Yeah, there's pour and feed for indoor plants and pour and feed for cacti and succulents.
0: All right. So that way you cannot go wrong. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us again this morning. And what a great idea. I hope I helped you with your orchid. And maybe that just explains the difference between Phalaenopsis and the fact that they need to have longer daylight hours and brightly lit positions. And right at the moment, your Cymbidium orchids, while they've finished flowering, you can keep them in a shaded position until February when you move them out. And then again, as as the, the days are getting shorter, that will trigger the flowering process. Perfect. I'll
1: definitely be doing that.
0: All right, mate. Thanks so much for joining us again this morning. you
1: so much, Trevor.
4: Garden Express are
1: Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer, so make sure after today's show you jump online and visit their website.
2: How was that? I hope you're enjoying the show today. Um, If you are, hit the like button, let us know. We've had plenty of questions flying through, so Joe, I reckon we'd better get right back to them. Uh, Samantha in Mount Gambier in South Australia. She has a nectarine tree that the fruit was so terrible last year that not even the birds are eating it. Must be pretty ordinary. So she's been putting Dynamic Lifter on it. Well, I think, Samantha, what you might need to do is uh, look at your fertiliser regime and get a more complete uh, fruit tree type fertilizer, something with trace elements and all those extra things that they need that they won't get from just from a chicken manure fertilizer. And make sure you're giving them plenty of water when they're setting the fruit and carrying the fruit. So at least twice a week and a nice deep water. And keep them well mulched. And hopefully the fruit quality will improve after that. And then you can feed them to the birds. Yeah,
3: and you know, Darren, I think it could even be like uh, what they call sour fruit. Yep, which is exactly what it is, sour fruit. And if you don't if if you don't follow Dara's advice on that twice a week and consistency they're like children they like consistency. They do. So if you do a consistent watering and a consistent fertilizer regime of an all-purpose fertilizer for uh, fruit you should have much better fruit next year. I
2: Hope so. And then you'll
3: be fighting the birds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Carol and we're not sure where Carol's from. No, sorry, I'm I'm gone, Kelly, I've jumped a spot. Kelly from Valentine in New South Wales, she's got a beautiful goldfish plant that's been growing in a pot for about a year or two and she'd like to transfer it into a flower bed um, and can I do this? Um, it's always been outside and it's been growing in the sun and it's been growing very well in a pot. Um, usually goldfish plants are growing in pots. They're not often growing in the ground. Um, and given that you're in New South Wales, I'm going to um, – assume that you're in a heavier soil. So, again, you're going to want to make sure that it's well-drained soil. Um, I would be concerned about putting it into an area where maybe there was too much wind Mm, uh, because the cold wind, um, even the hot wind, is going to damage it. So put it into a sheltered position and um, it should go okay. I have seen them growing in the ground and they look pretty good uh, but they have to be well looked after.
2: Yeah, a cool so good luck plan. with that, Kelly. Yeah. You don't seem around that much anymore, though. So. No, no, so they're
3: harder to get.
2: Carol from Unknown um, <laughs> has two teddy bear magnolias. One has got brown spots on all of the leaves and then all the leaves fell off, which is not what you want them to do. And now the same thing is happening with the second. Um, she wants ideas to stop that from getting worse. Uh, she waters it once a week, uses sea soil and it's fertilised with uh, a rose fertiliser. Um They may need a little bit more water, so you need to check Mm. the soil. Even coming out of winter, I'd still be checking the soil to make sure the water's getting in and it's soaking in really well in around the root system. They're quite shallow-rooted, so just to scratch around and see what that's like, may need a wetting agent. i would be using a a more complete fertiliser for evergreen shrubs, and I'd also be a little bit worried that they do have a fungal issue, so a spray with a um, broad-spectrum fungicide, a couple of sprays, and then mulch them really well. And hopefully once we come into the warm weather, they'll start to shoot away. They are pretty hardy and they, they will take a bit of knocking around, but um, keep them well watered, wetting agent, fertiliser and mulch and a bit of fungicide. Fingers crossed. This is the teddy bear. It's a beautiful magnolia. Hopefully oh, yeah, it'll great. come back for you and look beautiful by Christmas.
3: You know, the teddy bear magnolia is supposed to be quite a small one too, though. It's quite interesting. In Perth, it will grow much taller than what they say on the label, so you have to be I've a bit seen, careful I've seen with that. A few
2: yeah. very, very tall
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that for me, the key in this um, question is the brown spots. Yeah. So it probably indicates that you've got some sort of fungal issue with it. And just make sure if it's a brown spot with a yellow ring around it, then you are possibly bacterial, but it's more likely to be fungal.
2: Yeah, but they yeah. Also have seen yeah. Them before. So. But
3: persevere because they're fabulous oh, yeah.
2: plants. Yeah. They I back love them. Pretty well.
3: Yeah. So Rebecca's in Melbourne and she's got three new hibiscus plants that she's planted around about three weeks ago and they're looking sad and what can she do with it? Well you know these have probably been grown in controlled conditions in the nursery um, and I would think that in Melbourne you're still experiencing some uh, cold weather. I'd be uh, careful about that. Um, They're probably sad from the cold and there's probably not a lot you can do. You maybe have uh, planted them a little bit early um, again, I would maybe cover those, put a protection around them for the cold wind, um, and they should come away. Make sure there's some good mulch on the soil too, so that they um, have protection to their roots. Because I think they're relatively um, shallow rooted yeah, too, are, too, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they do yeah. really like
2: the, the hot weather. Yeah. And Tyson in Baronia, also in Victoria, he wants to know where to buy custard apples. Well, Tyson, I'm not exactly sure. I don't do a lot of shopping in Victoria. So you may have to uh, look around and see if you can find a local specialist in exotic fruits. Uh, There are online forums for uh, exotic fruit growers and they may be able to recommend a a grower for you. But mostly... Mm They, on the east coast, mostly the custard apples are grown in Queensland and northern New South Wales, so you, you might be able to find somewhere that could send you one or something like that. But you just have to have a hunt around. That they, they tend to be, in the cooler climates, more of a specialist thing than something you'll get at your local garden centre.
3: Yeah. But give it a go, Tyson. It'd be yeah. great to see if it grew in, yeah, in I, Melbourne. I think you it, if you got the right variety, yeah.
2: it would do, do okay for them and you would get fruit. And they're, they're quite a nice tree when they're growing.
3: Yeah. Excellent. So Teresa on the Mornington Peninsula, we're getting lots of questions from Melbourne today, which is great. Um, I have these bugs on my citrus tree and I've tried white oil, soapy water, but they keep coming back. What can I do? Well. The bugs are most likely uh, aphids.
2: More than likely, more than likely yeah.
3: aphids. Perhaps their um, scale, because that's another thing that citrus can get. Um, a horticultural oil is a good thing to do. And I think what happens is sometimes people, it's like with any pest, they'll, um, they'll put the, the white oil or the, the um, pesticide onto the tree once yep. and not think about these things have a, a life cycle. So, you know, certain things, it might be a 14-day life cycle. So you need to, to um, do the spray uh, at the beginning when you first see it and then within another 14 days to capture any of those uh, the babies that are coming through. Yes, you do have
2: the So yep.
3: I would look at that. Um, what can you do to keep them away? There's not a lot to do. You could maybe spray your, your neighbour's trees also. They may have it and it might be coming in from there. But keep your tree healthy. You know, it's like us. If um, if we're low-edged and we're not sleeping well and not eating well, we're going to pick up all the, the pests and diseases.
2: Well-fed and well-watered.
3: So Plants the same thing. Absolutely. And um, a little more often yep. is best for citrus too.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Vanessa on the south coast of New South Wales has asked, how far should I trim my passion fruit vine back? Um, like You can prune them up to half because they, they do flower and fruit on the new growth. It's starting to get a little bit too late for doing. Normally, we do them in Perth in August, um, but I definitely, if it needs pruning, do it as soon as you possibly can. Up to half, fertilize and mulch uh, and keep them well watered during the hot, hot months. And they do come back extremely quickly. They're very vigorous growing passion fruit vines. So, still, yeah. even though it's a little bit later than I normally do it, I definitely give it a go and get into it. and Because otherwise, you just end up with a, a trifid taking over your entire backyard. <laughs>
3: But great giving plants. They
2: are. They're fabulous. They're fabulous
3: giving plants. Um, so Jan in Calamunda, um, she has a running postman which has seed pods on it, and she tried to propagate them last year but wasn't successful. What's the best way, please? And uh, wants to grow it out on a, a on her verge. Well, I've always found it hard to propagate this from seeds. Also, not that I've done a lot with a running postman, but I found it much easier to actually um, allow roots to set on on yep. the, the um, layer them. The la- and layer them. That's it. Um, I'm guessing you, is it scarified? Yeah, they, they probably need it? to be
2: scarified. At, um, but some of the those native seeds do need to just on a little bit of sandpaper or some hot water treatment. It's probably something if you Googled it, you'd be able to find the best way to scarify them. Yeah, um, And that once they you you do that little scarification on them, and and they do tend to generate really rapidly because they are basically just a pea, and they'll pop up like mad.
3: Yeah, but it'll look fantastic too. Your Uh, your verge is going to look great. Thousand
2: square meters—that's a big verge.
3: That's a huge verge. Must be on a corner, maybe. Yeah. So,
2: have you been watching this this season of the Garden Gurus? Well, we're back with another episode this week. So take a look now at a promo clip for the upcoming episodes
0: here's a handy tip for you that I'll be sharing this weekend on The Garden Gurus. When you get out and do any maintenance, make sure you go around with a line trimmer before you do the mowing. Now, the number one benefit you have is, well, as you're going around with a mower, the catcher will be taking up any of the line trimmings, meaning that when you finish, the lawn will look magnificent and clean, no extra work to do. Make sure you check it out this weekend on The Garden Gurus.
2: So Joe, you've brought some absolutely great looking plants in with you today. How about tell us about them?
3: I have. Well, first one, let's start with gardening is not always about outside. Is it true? It's also about the inside. And I've brought with me, I don't know if you can see that, I'll pull it right up close. Um, it's an Aspidistra. So Aspidistra, no. thanks. Aspidistras are generally something that's planted inside, although they can be planted outside in very shaded areas also. Um, they're fantastic actually, because you can use an Aspidistra in, uh, just a vase of water as well. They, um, shine up really nicely and you can use them in your, your house when you haven't got a lot of flowers or, or plants to pick for your, for your vase. This is a new one to Perth. Um, it's not new. They come from Japan, China, Taiwan, that sort of area. Um, and we've, we're more, um, likely to see in garden centers up until now just the plain green one or the variegated one which has a a variegated stripe through the leaf this is a very um, spotty one and it's a bit of a collector's item so have a look for that you'll see it around your garden centers um yeah easy to grow um usually grows the leaf will grow about 50 centimeters Mm. by about 10 centimeters yeah great to have inside i um my understanding also or Rumour has it that Oscar Wilde bought this plant into the um into the the house in his era and he was the first one apparently to bring it in. Sounds yep. like an Rumor Oscar Wilde it. sort of thing to do. Um, and of course that was when houses in the Victorian era were much um they were they were much darker than what we have them these days. So and they worked really well. So if you've got a really dark spot in your excuse me in your house, perfect for that. And easy, easy to grow. Easy to grow. They are so that's the first one. The next one I wanted to look at was the um, midgen berry. So it's one of the um, Australian native foods. Um, and I think um, edibles have become a huge part of um, the nursery industry recently. Everybody wants to grow edibles, which is fabulous. And there's um, a big range of, um, of Australian native foods out there the midgen berry is a really pretty one um it grows between 50 centimeters and a meter tall and about 1.5 wide although you can bring it in um i've seen in one garden they actually had it hedged No, yeah, i've got and a client looked, that's
2: got one hedged and they're just a beautiful little
3: yeah one. it's wonderful and the berry uh the new growth i don't know if you can see it but the new growth comes out quite bronze uh bronzy red color Um, And the berries are little star-like white flowers. so it's a really pretty little um, plant too. And it's got um, the berries on it are white, creamy white, with a purple speckle on them. I think they taste like, and people say they taste like, a bit like a blueberry, so they're sort of sweet but a bit tart at the same time. Perfect little um, garden plant. Uh, Likes a well-drained soil. Um, for those of you that are watching up in uh, Northern New South Wales, Queensland, they grow really well um, on the edges of the, the, um, the tropical forests and things too. So they'll take a bit of moisture, um, and they once but once established, they're quite drought tolerant.
2: They're growing pots too, the big pots. Are the yeah, beautiful. they Tear would be. Pots.
3: Yeah, they would be really nice, especially with the new growth, with this colour coming in too. Yeah, so get out there now. One thing I did bring along with you, not everybody has a a large garden that can grow all the edibles that they want and to use, but there is this wonderful um, product that's being produced um, that is the the dried herbs. Um, And so if you can't grow all of them, have a look in your garden centre and pick up some of the dried herbs from that Australian native um, bush food. Okay. So um, I also bought in the silver box, which is a toucrium. The bush germander was uh, the original of them, Um, and it's actually a native of Australia. But this is a hybrid of that, and it's called silver box. It's a more upright plant. Again, it's fabulous as a uh, hedge or just spotted through the garden for that grey accent. Um, If any of you have heard me on here before on radio, grey plants are one of my favourites. I love them. Um, and they're usually grey. Plants are really drought tolerant as well. Um, and coastal plants too. Fabulous coastal plants. It'll take salt. This one will take salt. Um, it flowers from uh, autumn through to spring, so you've got a nice long flowering time. And at that time, when a lot of things aren't flowering, especially if you've got uh, lots of deciduous trees and things in your garden, this will draw your eye back down to um, down to the lower areas where you'll get flowers all year round um sorry not all year round through right through the winter time Beautiful. yeah i love um that one it's, it's such an easy one to grow when it'll if you're growing it in a hedge or even just singly, if you cut it and um at least slash it back by half and it will keep that nice tight compact look too yeah I, I really like that one so one of the, the other plants i've bought in and it's got very few flowers on it i'm sorry so Triv, um, sorry, D- uh, Darren might like to hold that up so you can see the colour of the the flower. Um, this is an osteospernum, and um, I always thought osteospermums were granny plants, and I had a real thing about them that I didn't. I didn't bring many into the garden centre for a long time. We'd bring a few in but not many. We didn't promote them, but they're a fantastic plant. I love them. It's a
2: beautiful looking color. It's
3: wonderful. So it's got white petals on the outside and it's got like a pom-pom of purple on the inside. Unfortunately, this one finished flowering, so I've taken all the flowers off. But um, Google it or have a look at the label here and it's it's really good. These are so drought tolerant. You can grow them anywhere. Um, My neighbours got them on on her retaining wall and they – they uh, flow over, they just droop everywhere, and they're just full of flower all the time.
2: And they look Um, best mass-planted.
3: Mass-planted, absolutely. But there's so many different colours of of osteospermums too. Um, I couldn't resist. I went over the five and I bought in another one just for you to see. This one, you really have to Google it too. It's orange with this purple. It's like some little garden fairy has gone through and hand-painted the inside of all the flowers. They're so beautiful. You know these can be used uh, not just in your garden. They grow well in pots, but hanging baskets—they look fantastic. So if you've got that do. really hot area in your garden that nothing grows, maybe under a pergola or something, um, or on the edge of a pergola where it's really hot, um, they'll grow particularly well for you. And they flower from uh, spring right through to autumn, so you get spot flowering all the way through that really hot time of the year. Also, yeah, I love them. Yep, gorgeous. Okay. So the last one I bought in, and I just have to stretch right over here, is a caprosma. Again, this is an old-fashioned plant, the old mirror plant. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of new um, uh, cultivars come out. And this one's called Sahara Ruby. So it's um, green and, and almost black on the inside. With a deep red on the outside, and as the weather changes, it changes color. You get more vibrancy, you get more green and darker colors in the cooler temperature, and as it gets hotter, you get the hotter colors coming through.
2: Yeah, very useful plant for us. It's very hardy.
3: Yeah. Now I've seen them growing in Guildford That's where my garden center is, and we've i seen them growing in Guilford. And we have very heavy clay, um, and yet they grow quite well there. And I always thought they had to grow in a well-drained soil, um, but you know, I think they'll grow well in clay. You might have to put a bit of gypsum in the soil and keep it a bit open, but I have seen them growing well.
2: I reckon they'll grow just about everywhere, Joe.
3: Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay,
2: thanks, Joe. Those are some great plants, some really interesting ones in there. Now, one of my favourite plants is the spider lily, and mm. Trev had a chat with David from Garden Express about these beautiful plants. Let's have a look at them.
0: David Van Buerkle joining us this morning. I'm very excited, David, because every single time we chat, you've got something new, something different, or something spectacular to go in the garden. And today you hit the mark on all three of those because we are talking about a plant that you have called Spide Lily, but I have always known as the Sacred Lily of the Incas. It's absolutely beautiful, Hymenocallus festalis. Yes, good morning, Trev.
4: Um, it's been a very interesting week. And uh, and indeed, Jaime Sacred Lily of the Incas, or Spider Lily is our short-term name for it. Yeah. And um, just another one of those really interesting stories, Trevor. We we couldn't uh we couldn't harvest one last year. Uh we had a small crop uh left over. I've been getting some from a from a couple of growers. They've not doing it anymore. And this last guy's been hiding them, him and his dad. Uh, been flower growers for about 50 years and they've decided to harvest their entire crop uh, and they're going to replace it with something else as they wind down their business a little bit. So I'm picking up about 30,000 of these uh,
0: spider wow. lilies
4: I know. And that will give me a few years of cropping, right? We'll, we'll plant that over four years of supply uh, and rotate the crop through. But that does present our customers with a bargain. And I'm just going to pick one up for you, Trevor.
0: Oh, the look at the size.
4: Yeah, they're quite they're huge, cute, aren't
0: I? Yeah, that's that's a massive bulb for hominochellus for Starlis. the sacred lily of the Incas or the spider lily. How good's that? Now they're going to produce flowers basically as soon as summer comes along.
4: Oh, exactly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's up to five stems of, of blooms in each of those bulbs, Trevor. They're just yep. they're just magic. As I said, been grown for cut flowers. So they've been in the ground probably at least four years. I would say. And Mm -hmm. um, so we're just going to pick the biggest and the best, uh, put them together as a three-packet, a really good deal.
0: Right. So tell me, what is the deal? Because there's three What three per packet. That's going to be a big packet in itself because look at the size of those
4: bulbs. I'm probably going to do my dough on shipping with Australia Post. We've all heard of their dramas, right? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. But like twice the size bulb that we would normally ship. Um, And we're going to take 30% off, Trev, and that'll bring the price down to $7.50 for three amazing spider lily bulbs.
0: What? That's incredible. This is one of the most beautiful flowers you can ever get. And for folks, if you're not sure about this one, um, where where you might have seen it, if you've ever been to the tropics, it's often used in places like Singapore, and they'll do mass, you know, um, verge gardens or medium strip gardens, because it's an indestructible um, repeat flowering bowl that will just flower through the summer months. Each each stem produces multiple little individual flowers, and they just keep popping up, don't they?
4: Yeah. Look, and I, I, I'm sure there's a giant form because I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you know, Queensland all the tropics, you see these yep. beautiful, big versions of them. The foliage is quite firm, um, strong, disease resistant, all of those wonderful things. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm in love with them. I think they're a beautiful flower and just a really delicate looking flower, but an
0: easy-to-grow bulb. Yeah, and, and look, you know, it'll perform in full sun, but it, it, it'll handle sort of dappled semi-shade quite well without any problems and continue to flower. Um, foliage is probably a little bit like a, a more compact form of agapanthus in a way, um, but um, one of the most magnificent. Plus, and um, from a, from a West Australian garden point of view, knowing how hot and dry it gets over here, Um, This is one that doesn't require a lot of water either once it's um, established.
4: Yeah, it's just so versatile, Trevor.
0: And the beautiful thing with
4: these bulbs is uh, for the customers this year, the multiplication rate, the babies and the pups that these big bulbs are going to provide, a year or two in the garden, you're going to have this beautiful clump from each of those bulbs uh, and just more and more blooms every year. So, um, yeah, versatile, hardy, simple
0: sensational mate another amazing deal from garden express now for people to order them they just go straight to the website yes we'll put a
4: banner up for these ones as well uh, www.gardenexpress.com.au
0: all right and not just that but uh you know when when they jump on board they place their order a couple of weeks down the line this can be a a pleasant little surprise arrive in the mail a lovely little package something to put into your garden when you've got time
4: Probably one of those bigger boxes this time, Trevor, to fit these ones in.
0: <laughs> They're massive, yourself well, look-
4: A couple of facts. This, uh, this is probably the bargain of a, of a while. And, you know, just one of the benefits of, uh, you know, one of these growers deciding that that's it. They've had enough of this product. And um, and we get one year where we get a good stab at it.
0: Okay, just to repeat it, show us those bulbs, David. Spider lilies, the sacred lily of the Incas, there's three of them for $7.50. Look at the size of those bulbs. That's amazing value. Well done. Happy days. Happy days. Good on you, mate. Thanks, David. Have a great day. Yeah, cheers, Trevor. You too.
1: Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality German-made wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page.
3: Okay, well, let's head straight into some more questions. But remember, if you're enjoying the show... Uh, give us a like. Um, So straight into it. Michael, he's also from the unknown. Um, He's got a rosemary bush. Uh, What's the best soil and fertilizer to use? And should he use sugarcane mulch? Um, Not sure that you really need to use mulch on a rosemary, um, Michael. um, But if you do, uh, sugarcane probably wouldn't be a bad one to use, although I'd probably prefer to use something a little bit chunkier. So that you've got more well-drained soil. I think sugarcane will hold the moisture a bit much into it, a, a bit damp, Yeah, yeah yep. I think so too. Um, and as far as um, soil uh, fertilizer, um, I um, always prefer um, a mineral fertilizer. So um, you'll find one in your unknown area at some unknown garden centre. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, they're not they're not fussy either. Though. No, they don't need a lot. Really. Like, Judy from Geelong's looking for an old-fashioned Daphne. They are a magnificent plant and they're a lot more fussy to grow than a, a rosemary, beautiful perfume. Yeah. The old-fashioned ones are still growing. There are a few varieties named cultivars growing now which sort of seem to have taken uh, preference over the old Daphne Adora, but they I are think around. I
3: because it's really hard to find the other one too. Well, not only reason. They are really beautiful plants and new yeah. ones that are out. But it is hard to find a Daphne, but just ring around. Yep, You'll local, find a garden centre. Particularly in Melbourne, there,
2: one. Sh- there should be um, a garden centre that would carry You may just have to order them in, but yeah. they're, they're definitely still being grown. They've just sort of lost the preference over the, the newer varieties.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but keep going with them because they're fantastic they to just keep trying. Things. Yeah. So Judy's from Geelong, and can you still – that sorry, me. that's you. <laughs> okay, so from Melbourne we've got – is it Vipin or Vipen? Um, and he has a small yard where he'd like to plant a fragrant magnolia that doesn't grow too wide. Um, and he already has or she already has the black tulip and a felix. So I'm assuming that you're still wanting um, a deciduous um, magnolia. There's a couple that would go really well. Um, I guess the Cameo is small. It grows about three by three. Um, and it's also of the salangia variety, so it's highly scented. Um, and you had an idea of one also. The Lillia
2: the... flora nigra. nice yeah. upright one, um, very similar to the salangiana type flowers. Right. Uh, i always found them a bit hardier and a bit stronger growing, the salangianas, and still have a nice yeah. perfume. Yeah, yeah. So fabulous plant to grow they are
3: yeah. yeah you can even grow those in perth i've got one yeah I mean, perfect does
2: beautifully you've just
3: got to keep it again out of that hot wind situation and it'll grow well
2: so elizabeth in sydney has got citrus in their original pots and wants to transplant them they have heaps of buds and is a bit worried that it might be a bit late in the year well sort of established wisdom is once your plants are in flower or they're carrying fr- uh, fruits not a great idea to transplant them But if you need to and you want to, you can do it. You may get a a bit of uh, extra flower drop that you wouldn't normally if you kept them in the pots. But citrus are such heavy fruit as anyhow, if you really want to transplant them, I definitely would. Get them in the ground now before the weather gets too hot. Improve the soil. Make sure it drains fairly well for the citrus and then start a uh, fertilising regime on them and they'll do really well. They're much happier in the ground as a general
3: rule than in pots. Yeah. I guess unless you bought one of the new dwarf varieties... Even then, you've got to have them in a decent-sized pot, right?
2: Even those ones I find just much happier in the ground because I like to spread those feeder roots out as far as they can.
3: Yeah. We always suggest that somebody use something, uh, a vessel at least as wide as a half wine barrel, if not wider. As a minimum, yeah. As an absolute minimum, yeah. So Liz from Hampton in Victoria, she's got a geranium that just will not grow. It flowers for a while, then the leaves just keep dying off and she's repotted and fertilised it. What else can she do? Well, I guess if they're dying off, there's two different reasons why they could die off. One would be overwatering and too much water,
2: definitely.
3: Or one could also be that it's in a hot, drying position. So we're not sure what which is happening for you, Liz. Um, but have a look at it. If it's obviously if it's in a pot and it's um, excuse me and it's it's. Uh, it's dying off from being overwatered. then check that the soil isn't too um isn't holding the moisture too much that the hole at the bottom is is um is open good drainage really good drainage and keep the pot up off the ground also yeah that could help yeah then i guess if it's in a if it's dying off because it's uh getting too much wind you just need to move your pot and see how it'll go um, don't over-fertilise a geranium no, either. No, they don't need a lot. They really don't need it, so don't over-fertilise
2: one. No. Okay, so Trish, another unknown, um, wants to know when her frangipani will start producing leaves. It's in a pot in full sun. It's just about time that the frangipani will start pushing out the leaves. It depends where you are and how warm it is. Yeah. So they normally don't really start pushing out a lot of leaves in Perth till middle of October when we start getting some really consistent warm weather. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just have to be patient. They'll get there, but they do need the warm weather to really push out that fresh new growth.
3: Yeah. So Bridget's from Wanding in Victoria, and when she can take, when she's asking a question of can she take magnolia cuttings and when can you do this? I'm going to pass that one on to you.
2: Well, all magnolias are pretty much grown from cuttings. That's a, yeah. the standard way of doing. Some of the varieties will be grafted, but generally probably 95% of the magnolias oh,
3: cutting, are
2: cutting grown. Um, you do them with the new se- current season for growth that they're just about put on. Right. Once that's hardened off in summer, you can uh, take the cuttings of, of that hardened wood in summer, And they, but they aren't super easy to propagate. So you do need to keep them misted and somewhere where they're Foliage is going to completely dry out. Really good quality propagating mix, and um, the professionals grow them with bottom cut them, strike them with bottom heat. So the bottom heat encourages the, the root formation, right. and use a striking hormone, so a hardwood striking hormone number yeah. three.
3: So you're saying in Perth and that we would do it mid-summer then?
2: Mid to late summer, Mid to yeah, late yeah summer? into autumn. yep yeah. so while that that current new season growth, once it hardens yep. off, and then it's ready to go.
3: Perfect. Okay, thanks for doing that. You can take the next one too if you like.
2: <laughs> okay, Brianna in Mooney Ponds has a four-year-old macadamia in a large self-watering pot. How will I get to flower? Well, they should be in flower now. It's a flowering period. Uh, it depends whether the macadamia is a grafted one or a seedling. Seedlings tend to take anywhere between five to ten years before they have their first lot of yeah. flowers and, and seed, uh, fruit. A grafted one will normally, within five years, you'll get get uh, flowers they need plenty of full sun they need a good root run so if you know it's in a self-watered pot it needs to be quite a big one um they do grow into quite substantial trees macadamia and yeah plenty of nice open sunny area um good quality all-purpose uh fruit fruit
3: fertilizer yes
2: and yeah they'll be fine but um it, it's only four years old it might just not be old enough to flower yet but it'll get Yeah. A,
3: give it give it patience it won't yeah. be long So we're off to Lamb Island now and Jenny was wondering if she can pot a Bird of Paradise plant. Currently it's in the ground in full sun um, and it's in red clay soil. Uh, Quite honestly, I would put any Bird of Paradise in in a pot before I put it in the ground getting it out of the ground is probably going to be harder than planting it into Especially a pot.
2: Especially in red clay soil. Where's Lamb Island, Jo?
3: Um, I'm not sure. I'll pass <laughs> that one on to you. I no um, but it really doesn't matter because the clay soil is the indicator that it's possibly a heavier soil. Yep. Um, you might need um, a good rope and a uh, four-wheel drive to, It depends
2: how big uh, 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 they are. You've out. got to, when you dig a um, bit of parasite, I've done a few, you've got yeah. to dig around them down and then try and get under them and, yes. they, and then break them up and the depends how big they are they you can get them out and they do grow really well in pots but nice big pots as well absolutely those are looking good
3: they're fabulous roots would you also um if you're the home gardener would you dig a trench around and down um and start and put some water through that to loosen the soil can, a bit it can and then, certainly help, probably help? With,
2: the, with the clay i don't know how much it helped with the clay it certainly oh, works yeah. with the sand because you can wash the sand away yeah Beautiful a,
3: plants. It's they just, are. They're and super
2: hardy. I actually use a yeah. lot of them in my landscape. Do you? Sure. Yeah. They work really well. Yeah. There's a melder in Wetherill Park. She has a problem with the hippie astrum flowers. Um, I always look forward to seeing these beautiful flowers, but every time I see them being eaten by something, they completely ruin the flowers, which is a shame because hippie astrums are magnificent when they're in flower. Yeah. I would say probably snails and slugs would be the most likely yep. thing. Yeah. Uh, caterpillars as well. You need to try and get out there with the torch at night and see if you can see what's eating them. I'd almost be certain that it's snails and slugs. they would love them and they come out and flower when the snails and slugs are super active. So whatever you do in your garden to control your snails and slugs, whether it's um, traps or baits or whatever, you'll need to do that with the hippie ashrams. It's only flower for a short period so you, and you wait yeah, you all year make, for them and you don't, yeah, want, you you don't want to make snails the most of it, don't them. you? Yeah. yeah so that'll be what i would be doing. Get out at night with a torch, have a look and see if you can see what they are yeah. and then take them. Um, Suitable action against them.
3: You could also use. Um, there are. There is a, um, a a snail bait that you can use that is uh, natural. So the iron based the one. The iron based yep. one. You yep. could put two or three pallets in that, which would help. Um, otherwise, I always grab the grandchildren. I pay them a cent a a, a slug. A cent a slug. Yeah.
2: i been making you pick up your own slug. Like
3: right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Okay, um, so Kay is um, asking, how do we kill ryegrass, please? And um, she's got it in her lawn.
2: I don't know if there is a selective herbicide that will take out ryegrass. No, it's, uh, there's
3: not. I it's think local. it's patience.
2: Yeah, you might have to hand dig that. Yeah. Otherwise, if um, she goes into the local garden centre and ha- have a look at the selective herbicides, there are plenty of them around different different types for lawns and see if mm. one of them does ryegrass. And you need to be pretty uh, well Very sure of what your grass is to make sure that it's also suitable for your type of turf and that it will target that that species you want to get rid of. Ryegrass can be yeah. a bit of a pain. It's a
3: hard one to do. Yeah. Um, I think most of the selective um, herbicides at the moment uh, that you are selling also will indicate whether you've got cooch or... Cooch, buffaloes. Yeah, buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. So whether you've got a thin leaves. grass or a thick grass and, and certainly the garden centre people will help you with that.
2: Hussain in Melbourne, I have a blueberry pot. It's starting to get new leaves and a week after those leaves, they start dying. It did really well last year. Besides the pH of the soil, what could possibly be the reason and can it be saved? Well, I'm hoping it can be saved, Hussein. but yeah. if it's in a pot it's and it's um, shooting the leaves out and they're dying... Sounds like the soil is too wet and it's not draining properly. Blueberries like to stay moist but not wet. They need, they're need they very particular about their potting mix, so they like a premium quality, well-drained, either acidic to, um, to neutral potting mix is fine. Um, but that would be the first thing I'd be checking is making sure that that pot's draining really well. And just make sure you haven't built too much potting mix or even mulch or anything like that on top of the root system because they very um, have a lot of surface roots and they don't like having too much mulch and too much potting mix piled over the top of that root ball in the pots. Mm. So give that a go. Um, you may need to pull it out of the pot and repot it into fresh potting mix, even into a smaller pot if possible. Um, give it some seaweed extract and that sort of thing to try and revive it and see how it goes.
3: There's some good um, blueberry, um, blueberry fertilisers out there also that will maintain the pH for you. And perhaps check that when those leaves start coming out, the new leaves, if they've got a red tinge to them, it can mean it's too cold and too wet. Yes. So if you see that, that'll be the indicator for you, Hussein. Good luck with that because it's certainly worth having some uh, blueberries in your garden. Uh, Jo from Mornington Peninsula, she's moving house soon. Good luck with that, Jo. I hope it goes well. And she has a beautiful baronia that she wants to take with me. Is it possible to pop it in a pot? I don't think so. No, They're really so. hard to grow anyway. Um, I would actually gift that to your next um the next resident of your house and uh, go down, pop down to the garden centre and buy a new baronia. I think that's probably the best way to do it. They don't like to be moved.
2: They don't like much, especially and if the brown ones.
3: Yeah. And if you've got one growing in the garden, you've done really well. Yep. Yeah, gift it on.
2: Okay. Uh Rena from Unknown would like to split a bird of paradise which is in a large pot and she wants to know when to do it and how like that really you can't go that wrong you pop it yeah. out of the pot um when i split bird of paradise i use a, a straight edge shovel so one of the rectangular heads yeah. i use a grinder to put a sharp blade on it and i just cut through them wherever i want to to break them up into uh two or three or four plants and um, you can do it whenever you want because i really don't care they're super hardy and then either plant it out in the garden or back into uh a fresh pot with fresh potting mix and you'll be surprised how quickly it'll just reshoot and re-establish the root system and be good to go there. So they're so tough the bird of paradise.
3: Yeah you can't go wrong with that. Good luck with that Rena. Um, so Tyson, he's from Baronia in Victoria. Hi Tyson. Um, and he's asking what are the essential tools for the home garden?
2: Chainsaw. Chainsaw.
3: chainsaw yeah. <laughs> I do love a chainsaw. However, um I think it's really essential to have a good pair of um secateurs. Uh, with a sharpening stone. Yep. Okay. Um, I also, for me, I hate getting up a ladder now. I, I've fallen off a few ladders, and I will not get up a ladder. So I have a long handled pair of secateurs also. Yep. Look. For pruning.
2: Yep. A pole uh, pruner. A pole yep, pruner. They're fantastic. I
3: love those. I think a good sharp shovel.
2: Yep.
3: Or spade. Yep. What do you call it? A spade or a shovel? You're the. I call a spade a spade, a shovel, shovel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like the uh, flat-edged uh, <laughs> yeah. spades or shovels. Um, and, yeah, that's oh, – and I always have a pair of good gloves too.
2: Yeah, gloves and secateurs I think, are the big ones. Yeah, Everyone needs those. Yeah. And yeah. If you live in the hills, a chainsaw. And a
3: chainsaw and a if chainsaw. you live in the hills.
2: So, Brianna, Mooney Ponds, has two apple trees, a Fuji and a Pink Lady, nine to ten years old and wants to know when to prune them. She's never had fruit from the trees. Um, pruning won't help you get fruit, but you can prune them in winter, so late winter – and you can prune them again in summer once they've mm-hmm. finished flowering. Uh, I'm just trying to think of Fujin Pink Lady cross pollinators.
3: Yes, they are.
2: So that yes, shouldn't be are. the problem. So yeah, uh, if the trees are growing growing well, it uh, could just be an issue of um, not getting the right type of fertilizer when they're actively growing through the the summer months. So, and I don't know Mooney Ponds. you'd think they'd get enough um, enough chill, chill hours. hours there?
3: I would think so. Yeah, uh,
2: and just keeping the the water up to them. Um, my, main trouble I have my apples they flower and then the possums come and eat all the flowers off them so that's why I don't get fruit. But there's no good reason why you won't be getting fruit as long as you're keeping them well fed. So a good quality complete fruit tree fertiliser so they need all the trace elements, potash, all that sort of thing, and um, they really should flower and fruit for you, especially at ten years old definitely
3: yeah and you know i guess the only thing that i would think of is if one of those trees had been mislabeled and therefore you don't have a pollinator you still should get some fruit. you should pink get lady. something Definitely. pink lady is a, is a partial self pollinator yeah. so you should she could always go down and get yourself something like a, um, a granny smith that's going to pollinate both of them yeah that's an excellent idea yeah have three apples and maybe have three apples so now we're off to illawarra and uh, Murray is asking, do we have any tips on dealing with onion weed? Oh, that's a doozy of a question. Yeah, it's a
2: horrible one. It's
3: a horrible thing. I think it takes patience. It's about digging them out. And um, look, I've read that some people use glyphosate to get rid of onion weed. I don't particularly you, like using glyphosate you can, on it onion is, weed, It is but,
2: reasonably effective on onion weed. It takes a while. There is a, mm-hmm. a spray, and I just often can't remember the name that is. Um, Specific for onion weed, but it will can't, it's not selective. So, if you spray a lawn with it or a garden and it hits other things, it'll kill that as well. And um, it's a lot stronger fungus uh, herbicide than glyphosate. I just can't remember the name. Does it start with A? It may do.
3: I think it does. does. I was asked this question at the garden centre a few weeks ago and I've been trying to find it.
2: Okay. It's Um, if you go to a special like an egg shop. So one yes. of the agricultural, yeah. they will be able to supply you with it. But it is a, a pretty strong chemical. Um, the best way I find it is you just have to dig them out and be yeah. consistent with it. I'm actually take,
3: doing a patch in my garden yeah. at the moment.
2: And, and get and all the bulbs out. Absolutely. And don't let them yeah.
3: flower. Yeah. yeah, yes. So that's one thing. If, if you just go through, if you haven't been able to get onto them and you haven't been able to work with it, break the flower head off, and at least you're going to control them slightly. Um, slightly. And if you do dig them out, be really careful that you get all the bulbs out. And if you
2: dig them out and you have someone you don't like, you're going to drop them off in their gardens.
3: <laughs> no, Darren, we don't do that
2: sort of thing. <laughs> so we, Margaret in Belgrave, she has an orange peony rose that has never flowered, it's about four years old. Mm. Now, peony roses need a lot of chill to make them, to get them to flower. They like heavy soils and they need good fertilising when they're growing through the summer months and good watering. So I'm not sure with Belgrave as far as how cold it gets, but they do really need very, very cold weather to, to initiate flowering. Um, they also need a lot of sun and, um, as I said, deep, rich soil. So as long as yeah. they are getting all those things, they should eventually flower, and they are absolutely amazing uh, plants for them to flower. They would be one of the world's greatest flowering plants, a peony oh, roses. Oh,
3: they're so beautiful, aren't they? I wish we could grow them more over here. Do you grow them up when you're in the hills? It's
2: too, too cold. I, I've grown a tree peony, and that did okay, but um, the peony roses, it's just way too hot for them. Yeah, so they're,
3: they're yeah. They'll drop
2: dead, which is a shame.
3: yeah. Such a shame. So we're off to Melbourne again, and Esther uh, asked me, "Why do uh, has asked us why don't all of my orchids bloom at the same time?" Uh, it's kind of like asking why your children don't all grow at the same level, isn't it? You know, um, it's just the way they're living things, and they will bloom. They'll bloom in the same season, but they will bloom at different times.
2: Yeah, you got slightly different cultivars, and slightly different Absolutely. species, and all those yeah.
3: Stuff, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, well, that's it, Joe. That's it for the episode of Garden Gurus Lives. I'm sorry we didn't do all the questions we couldn't get to. Trevor will be back on Monday, first thing, or actually, he'll be back on Tuesday, first thing to answer any questions we didn't get to you. And Lachlan will send a message to all our seed winners after today's show.
3: Yeah. So, the Garden Gurus is back on air and we're playing at different times around the country. So, check your local TV guide to make sure that you don't miss us. Uh, Remember, we have Uh, a $20,000 garden makeover competition running in in this season of The Garden Gurus, so don't forget to enter. Um, We'll have the competition details up here on Facebook straight after the program.
2: And keep in mind, you can always jump onto our website and catch up on our previous stories from The Garden Gurus at thegardengurus.tv or YouTube channel thegardengurus.tv.
3: Trev will be back next Tuesday for another session of Garden Gurus Live. Make sure you tune in at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Happy gardening, everybody, and thanks for being with us.
0: The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times.